Hello, 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 hello again. Um, it's me, Thomas, from earlier on in the gathering. Uh, great to be with you, and thanks again for having me share with you at Central. Um, and thanks for inviting me to speak on such an incredible passage as well. Um, I hope you've been enjoying this series in Hebrews. I've been tracking with it a tiny bit from afar. Hebrews has got it all. I absolutely love this letter. Um, it's got a hero. We've got Jesus. It's got a bit of a mystery, a bit of a whodunit. Who wrote it? Nobody knows. Um, Hebrews 10 that Kay spoke about last week, um, around those who've been really in the thick of it, who've suffered and been persecuted for the faith that they have and caused them to keep going, to persevere, that the promises of God are still true for them. And as we've heard the reading, um, as we get into Hebrews 11, the tone changes significantly. Hebrews 10 was the kind of message in a bottle, hoping that somebody would find it and be encouraged. Hebrews 11 is the homecoming, triumphant victory lap. Hebrews 10 is like the, that last stage of the Tour de France when you're just casually riding into the Champs-Élysées. Um, it's the open bus top tour after the victory um, in the cup final. You know, you get the, you, you get the idea. Um, and this passage is just this roll call of the heroes of faith. It's the Old Testament Hollywood walk of fame with their names in the stars. You walk around, uh, walk down that boulevard. And it's not the perfect ones by any stretch. If you have, have read any of the Old Testament, you really know these people mentioned, oh my goodness, it's not the perfect ones. It's not the doubtless ones either. They had so many doubts, so many struggles. Um, but these are the ones who the writer of Hebrews says lived by faith, who lived for something beyond what they could see and had the honour of seeing God at work powerfully in their lives. I wonder how you would define faith. You know, what does it mean for you to live with faith? Um, is it just convincing yourself in your mind that something is true? Sometimes like when I was younger, I used to just, oh, I just want to have more faith. Surely that sounds a bit flimsy and, and maybe it even sounds a little bit dangerous. Um, is it living with just this blind conviction? There's a famous Christian who goes around the world saying that faith is spelt R-I-S-K. But not only is that wrong, it's reckless. You know, spelling matters. Um, what are we teaching our kids, if, if that's the sort of spelling we're teaching them? Um, here's a tentative go at defining faith that I've heard before. Faith is putting the weight of your life on the belief of your heart. Faith is putting the weight of your life, the way that you live, your actions, your decisions, on the belief of your heart. Maybe as Christians, your encounter with God. And it's a marriage, it's a coming together of belief and action and faith results in a way of life it has to that might be a good way of life bad whatever it has to result in something show me your deeds and i'll show you your faith said jesus brother james who would have been an amazing sort of business consultant and um and that still holds up deeds faith belief all these things mixed in together and i'm really keen for this message to avoid being this pep talk about just having more faith. You know, we've all probably heard that talk. We've all probably tried that thing with varying degrees of success. 
Faith isn't just concerned with trying harder and being gooder and speaking more goody. Hebrews 11 isn't only just about faith, but it's about grace. Let's think about it. What links Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah? Maybe you know these people, maybe you don't. Well, their faith in God definitely linked them, of course, but also God's faith in them. The grace that he showed each one of them, despite their own wandering, selfishness, brokenness. And so before we even get into living with faith, we need to know that God sees something special in each of us that God is desperate to call out of us. You know, we are not just kind of worker bees, okay? I don't even know if that's a thing, but um, we're not just kind of faceless um, soldiers, you know. We are God's precious children, known by name, called, chosen, seated in the heavenly realms, it says in Ephesians. And, and he's desperate for us to have the same faith in him that he has placed in us. Um, you know, let's just do a quick sort of sweeping drone flyby. You've got Abel who was murdered by his brother, but whose sacrifice God saw was from his heart. And God loved it. You've got Enoch who had so much faith that he didn't even die. Enoch gets to heaven, life, completed it mate, <laughs> didn't even do the death. You've got Noah who built a ship in the middle of a desert and, and looked so stupid. You've got Abraham who left everything he had and he had a lot to answer the call of God. You've got Sarah, even Sarah, it says Hebrews 11. She had completely given up on God coming through for her and, and Abraham in any way at one point. But even Sarah saw the promise um, through the gift of Isaac. And I wonder who would be on your walk of fame for faithful living? My guess it probably isn't that famous person or the person on the platform. But who lives differently around you that inspires you? to to do the same i've got a friend called lawrence that he just lives on a different planet oh my goodness this guy he's constantly in prayer he's so attentive to god and to those around him too and he's just so involved in seeing people's lives turned around you know who is your lawrence what is it about these people <laughs> how can we become like these guys and i want us to hone in just on a few verses later on in this passage that, that weren't read earlier. Um, verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised, actually, but they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own, if they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So how do some people manage to live life following Jesus without being tossed around in the waves? Again, that's a, an image we get from Ephesians without being totally consumed and getting our heads stuck and our feet stuck in the, the marsh of the here and now. How do we rise above it? How do we live differently? You know, I, I, 
I look at the stories of these guys in this um, roll call and their hearts and their minds belonged to somewhere else. Their hearts and their minds are hidden away in a different place. You know, I think of, of David who says, I've hidden my heart in your word. Your word is hidden in my heart. <laughs> and the same friend Lawrence um, wrote a song with these words. We will not be disappointed when we get out of this place. So we're not disappointed now. Oh, amazing. Because it just articulates what is said in Hebrews. Faith brings what's coming and pulls it, almost drags it into the present. And that changes how we live. You know, if we've trusted our lives to Christ as we're Christians, eternal life has already begun. It's already started. When we die, you know, all, all that's happening is that we're continuing on in the path that we've already begun. We've already started to walk. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of um, God's son who he loves, it says in Colossians 1. That's already taken place when we said yes to Jesus. But so much of our lives as Christians tends to mirror how the rest of the world lives. You know, I'm not going to go at anybody, but let's just face it, that is often true, particularly of the church in the UK. We don't stand out. We feel more comfortable just kind of fading in. We live consumed by worry. We're often striving, you know, to prove ourselves or to climb certain ladders, or we're just searching for comfort um, in material things and wealth. And, you know, we can be so overwhelmed by choice in this generation. You know, choice can be great and it's a sign of creativity, but it can also completely debilitate us. It can distract us. It can consume our presence of mind to the point that it almost takes away from our humanity. I mean, I've just been watching this Netflix thing called The Social Dilemma and I've just so convicted. How distracted am I? Unbelievably distracted and there's such a focus on the here and now that when it comes to this city that God is building and that God has built maybe we believe it in our minds you know we can answer the question on the test but the way that we live suggests almost that it's kind of like a fairy tale I'm not quite sure if that's really where we're headed and if faith is matching up the belief of our hearts our minds with the way that we live, and, and that is what faith is, um, then these things have got to come together. If we treat life as an opportunity to just grab as many experiences as possible, well, that's all it will be. But what if God has called us to more? And spoiler alert, he has. <laughs> and what if we settled for less, and most of us do? If we treat life as this big game of supermarket sweep, which is a great program, um, where we try and grab as many moments and things as we can in the time that we have, are we really putting our faith in God the same way that he has placed his faith in us? And the thing about so much of this generation is that we are so consumed with the here and now that the only time we really ever think about What's to come is, you know, maybe at, in a sad moment, a funeral of a, a loved one, a friend, or 
when the worship leader decides to lead a song with four verses and that fourth verse comes and you know you know the one I'm talking about maybe you don't um when we arrive at eternity sure I love it um or where when he returns in robes of white or till he returns or calls me home um you can fact check that on me, uh, Zach, but I'm pretty sure those are all fourth verses of certain worship songs. Or, or maybe you've seen those people that you just think, you know, the heaven hunters, you've seen them in action. The guys who only want to talk about angelic visitations and end times and you think, no, OK, no, that's not for me. Um, there's a lot of work to be um, getting on with evangelism, working for justice, you know, loving the world at the moment that I'm just not going to even go there. You know, you might even say, oh, so heavenly minded that there are no earthly use. Well, we've got to get beyond that kind of black and white stuff. And we've got to find something that works. Because here's the thing. If we take our eyes off what is to come, the return of Christ, a new heaven and a new earth, every tear being wiped away, the lion lying down with the lamb, then we will end up completely lost because we will lose the framework of even how we're living and, and you know we cannot afford to lose our hope in what is to come we are living at the moment in a story in time that is headed somewhere whether we've seen it in full or not and we've got to hold heaven and earth together and live in that way, just like Jesus held heaven and earth together in his very body. Verse 13 says these guys were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. And you think, oh, but I thought it says they saw them and they welcomed them from a distance, but they admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Maybe, just maybe, there's a key in there just to unlock the whole of this passage. They admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They had a different citizenship. Their first identity, primary identity, was as children of God, called and chosen. You know when we're baptised, and um, you know I'm not part of Central Church anymore, but if you want to... Um, get baptized, please speak to somebody, find out more, because it's just the best thing. Um, when we get baptized, when we go down into that water and come back up, we are saying that we renounce all other allegiances that may lay claim to our lives. And there are so many things that would love to lay claim, so many powers that would love to lay claim to our lives, whether it's nationalism, whether it's even consumerism or... No, not veganism. Well, maybe. But King Jesus comes first. That's the point. Baptism is saying, this is my new citizenship as a citizen of this heavenly city where God is the builder and the architect. And, and the desire to find meaning in other things that exist within all of us has to die within us. What good is it to gain the whole world but to lose our souls, says Jesus. The writer of Hebrews here is making 
like a callback, a reference to Abraham here. Abraham's wife, Sarah, had died. Abraham wanted to bury her among the land of the Hittites. He said to them, he said, please, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some land so that I can bury her properly. And you can check out that story in Genesis 23. It's very moving. Um, and the Hebrew writer plucks out Abraham's words and says, that way that Abraham set himself up, that is a pattern for all of us. We live in this world, but ultimately our citizenship is somewhere else. We are citizens of this heavenly city. Verse 9, going back a bit. By faith he made his home, this is Abraham, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Goodness, there's just so much richness in this. I don't know um, why I was asked to speak on 16 verses, because I could just go on forever. I'm not going to do that. Um, imagine belonging to a kingdom that is unshakable. And I say that because kingdoms at the moment are shaking in our world. Imagine belonging to a city run by God himself. Imagine just the beauty. Imagine the stability. Imagine the love and compassion of the way that God would and does govern his kingdom. Imagine, and this is the best part, clearly, the transport network. Oh my goodness, incredible. Um, that's where my ultimate citizenship lies. That's where I actually belong. And our world is creaking at the moment. Oh, wow, what a year. Psalm 46 says, nations are in uproar, kingdoms are falling. Psalm, said, Psalm 46, you're not wrong. <laughs> but our citizenship is to a different country to the heavenly city. So, you know, I can usher in some of that into where we are now because we need it. And we need people to work for justice and peace in this time. But also we do that because we know that this isn't the end of the story and that we are headed on a trajectory to something greater. Everything is partisan. Everything is political, polarized at the moment. It is, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> How can something, how can something like a virus become so polarised on right and left and what, it's a virus? Anyway, I just can't get my head around it. Our allegiance is to King Jesus first, which means our hope isn't in earthly kingdoms or regimes. You know, we want to serve the world well, but we don't put our hope in these things. It isn't in blue or red like we've been watching this week. Um... Thank goodness, you know, I cannot wait to finally live in a city designed by God where there are no more tears and no more tears, if you see what I did there. And, you know, we have so many people to learn from. That's why one of the reasons that scripture is just such a blessing. Um, if we want to live this faith-filled life, the Old Testament and the early Christians have so much to share with us and to teach us about living as strangers and sojourners. Is that how you say it? Sojourners, sojourners in exile, which is just 
so helpful for us. There's a letter written in the second century that is um, written to somebody describing the early church and it's quite remarkable and very appropriate to kind of go alongside this letter that was written to the Hebrews. So it says, describing these Christians, it says, though they are residents at home in their own countries, their behaviour there is more like that of transients, so people who come and go. They take their full part as citizens, but they also submit to everything as if they were aliens. Any Christian is free to share his neighbour's table, but never his marriage bed. Okay, that seems healthy. And though destiny has placed them in the flesh, they do not live after the flesh. Their days are passed on the earth, but their citizenship is above in the heavens. And that's from this letter. It's called From the Epistle to Methetes to Diognetus. And um, imagine if people observed us um, and that's how they described how we lived. I mean, to be honest, I, you know, I'm aware of communities at Central and I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do observe a lot of you amazing faithful people as you seek to live with hope and live generously. You know, I've heard people talk about lockdown as some sort of exile. And I think that's helpful. You know, we're out of our comfort zones. We're learning how to adapt. We're longing for home. And I think that's true, isn't it? in Stenhouse, in, um, in our little church. We've been meeting in person since kind of mid-August. Well, a hybrid between that and Zoom. And we have to wear masks and we're socially distanced and we cannot sing and it really sucks. And sometimes it's like, okay, this is all right. And other times it's just like, oh man, I feel so homesick. And I think of that and I compare, you know, with, with your experience at Central and you must be bored out of your mind with online meetings. Am I allowed to say that? I've said it, you know, full credit to the three of you that have stuck it out and are watching me just now. Hello, Jonathan. How's it going, bro? Um, but generally, so that might be true there. Exile, yeah, okay, a bit. But generally in the West, in 21st century, no. We don't really know what it feels like to, to be strangers and aliens because we are pretty comfortable. You know, the early church were not signing online petitions about Sunday parking charges. <laughs> um, nothing wrong with that, but they were fighting for their very existence. They were being persecuted because they were actually confronting people with their alternative citizenship. You know, they were, I think they were really nice, um, but they were uncomfortable to be around. There was genuinely something provocative about the way that they lived. And verse 15 says, if they'd been thinking of the country that they'd left, well, they would have had an opportunity to return. So in other words, it's saying they could have gone back at any point. Any of these guys, think of Abraham, who wandered, they could have returned to the comfort and the safety of Ur, the place that he came from. But they didn't because their hearts were set on what was coming and not what was behind. Their hearts were set on what was coming and not on what was behind. And you know, maybe this is exposing how comfortable we are. Maybe this pandemic is showing us that we had settled too comfortably in the land and forgotten about the city to come. You know, are we really living free? Are the shackles really off? 
will we turn back or, or will we press forwards? And it's not about meeting the building, not in the building. That's not what I'm saying. It's about citizenship. Do we belong more to the here and now and trying to fit in than we do of the heavenly city that we're going to belong to eternally? What does it mean for you to be a sojourner, a pioneer with faith, a stranger and alien in the land? How can you get that freedom back? How do we get to that place? Just a couple of things. Firstly, we train ourselves by doing the stuff. You know, we run the race, we step out, we take risks, we develop the muscles. I was about to do this, but in lockdown, all my muscles tend to flab. So um, we read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and study them and do the stuff that Jesus trained up his followers to do. You know, like me, you know, I feel more and more like a, a missionary. I'm not a very good one, but I'm, I'm trying to read this stuff and live it out as much as I can. You know, let's live radically. Let's live with hope in what's to come. Let's live generously as though it's God's stuff and not ours. Let's live as though Jesus has bought freedom for us at a price and is coming back one day. So firstly, we just train ourselves by doing this stuff and together, not on our own. Secondly, and there's not three points, there's just two here, we spend time with the architect of the city that we are headed towards. You know, the message of Hebrews, or one of them, the, the key themes of Hebrews is that we have access to God through Jesus, through the cross. And the, and the reality <laughs> is that we're not always in that that place, are we? We don't always enter into his throne room, even though we've been given that access. Start eternal life today. Maybe you just want to, first time ever in your life, say, I'm going to start today. Say yes to Jesus. Maybe you started eternal life a long time ago, but you've been missing out on really the benefits and the joy and the just amazing privilege it is to be in God's presence. Spend time with the architect because he has got the blueprint for life. And so verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God loves us, he's not ashamed of us, and faith might look like a small step or a big step, God is our smiling, unbelievably caring, loving Father. So I don't think he minds as long as we're walking with him. He holds us by, with his right hand. Let's pray. I'm just going to keep it brief. You've heard enough from me. Um, Holy Spirit, fill us. And when we arrive at eternity shore, we will be free of fear. Help us to live like that now. Help us to trust you and help us to step out. Help us to trust you even enough to trust you with our anxiety and our worries and our inadequacies and, and trust and take you at your word and have faith that through the cross and the resurrection that that's enough. And help us to put one foot 
in front of the other today and take another step towards you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your incredible word. And I pray that it would just encourage all of us today that we, you've, you've given us everything that we need to do this stuff. And we bless your name. Amen.